Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, English Standard Version, page 1079. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I am a nurse. I am most comfortable sticking needles in someone's arm or reading a fetal heart rate tracing. I am not a theologian. I have no background in Bible doctrine. Because of that, it is very challenging and humbling for me to be speaking to you about Jesus and grace. In my studies, I find that Jesus didn't sermonize as we do today. He often told stories and parables that were simple enough for children to grasp, but deep enough to challenge thinking and re reveal attributes of his character. The Desire of Ages mentions the fact that the Pharisees despised Jesus for his simplicity. So to any Pharisees in the audience, or theologians who may be bored by simplicity, I apologize. I will not be sermonizing. The best I can do is paint word pictures about grace with a few stories from my own life. Perhaps you'll be entertained, but my hope is that you will be challenged to see a connection between Jesus and the meaning of grace I have experienced grace in my own life. Jesus not once used the word grace in his ministry, but his life and stories were filled with grace. Nowhere in my studies did I find grace associated with anger or judgment. There are no parables or stories where vengeance or fear are portrayed. Christ's mission on this earth was to show his father's character. In his life and teachings, Christ portrayed mercy, compassion, understanding, restoration of dignity and self-worth, all attributes of grace. Any anger or wrath was reserved for the religious leaders of the day who misunderstood Jesus, ignored his teachings, and misrepresented the character of his father to their believers. I love the music of the Boulder Church, and I am deeply grateful to the musicians who have enriched my spiritual life. 
there have been many times in which I have turned to the words of the songs as a source of comfort to me or to have a better understanding of Christ. Indeed, Ellen White declared that singing as a part of religious service is as much an act of worship as prayer. So to me, a logical place to begin talking about Jesus and grace is with one of the most beloved and simple songs, Amazing Grace. It goes like this. Eliah, I will not be singing this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm going to stop right here. I don't agree with those last two words. Although I have been known to be wretched a, a couple of times. I once was lost, desperately lost, alone. No food, no water, no shelter. Dusk was coming quickly. I had no ability to communicate my needs because I didn't speak the language. My husband, Mark, and I were nearing the end of a two-week-long, 200-mile trek into one of the most remote areas of the world, the Annapurna mountain range in Nepal. We were both tired. One of us was cranky. And we had just had a major blow-up about leeches. I had stomped off the trying to blow off steam. I was furious, totally oblivious to all the little footpaths crisscrossing the main path until eventually I found myself alone, helpless, unable to ask anyone, even if I could find anyone, for help. I was filled with regret and desperation berating myself for being so hard-headed and stupid. As I stood wallowing in remorse and a great deal of panic, I heard a voice off in the distance, one that was known and trusted, calling my name. I stood still and listened for Mark's voice, and over a period of time, we called to each other, until his voice became louder and more distinct. After what seemed like an eternity, I saw him off in the distance. I didn't just meander and mosey over to him. We ran into each other's arms. And instead of the tongue lashing I deserved, I received a hug and the words, are you okay? I've been searching for you. I'm so glad I found you. I love you. And unbeknownst to me, as I was stubbornly charging off, even before I knew I was lost, Mark had perceived that I would be in a desperate situation and had already started looking for me. Before I even realized my need my husband had started searching for me, calling my name and hoping for a response. I had received mercy and grace 
my desperation became relief and gratitude. Grace is an attribute of God that is freely given to undeserving humans. We have received his grace, mercy, and compassion, not because we are worthy, but because we are so utterly in need. Our only claim to his mercy is our great need. I need to go to the bathroom. I glared at little Granny Annie. Why couldn't you tell me this before we sat down? It had been a long day for both of us as I cared for my little 89-year-old mother. She had, over the years, lost her independence along with her dignity and self-worth. She was, for all practical purposes, helpless, unable to maneuver without her walker, frail, unstable, and weak. Relying on me for much of her care and management, I was exhausted on this particular day and had come to the end of my rope. I had been looking forward to a quiet family dinner at a favorite restaurant. I saw the look of desperation on her face. We seem to have a lot of desperation in our family. As I stood up, Kari, my daughter, put her hand on my shoulder and gently said, you sit down and relax, Mom. You've had a long day. I'll take care of Grandma. I don't mind helping her. I sat wrapped in guilt and self-loathing as I watched my daughter accompany Granny Annie to the bathroom. Fifteen minutes passed, then twenty and twenty-five minutes. As time passed, it became apparent that something had happened and I wasn't enjoying my ice cream while two plates of spaghetti sat untouched on the table. I gave a deep sigh, got up, and headed to the bathroom, afraid of what I was going to find. Granny Annie was standing in the corner, bent over her walker, a pained look on her face, wearing only her shirt and her shoes. The trip to the bathroom had taken too long, and she had soiled virtually everything that she wore. Kari had discreetly put her into a corner stall to preserve her dignity, and was bent over the sink, quietly talking to Grandma while rinsing the clothes and drying them under the hand dryer. The Depends undergarments were goners, but Kari had artfully created new underwear using garbage bags she had found in the bathroom, toilet paper, and paper towels as she tied the new undergarments into place, she spoke softly to Grandma. It's okay, Grandma. It's not such a big deal. Everything is fine now. If this happens again, I'll help you. Look at all the garbage bags they have. I can make as many pairs of underwear as I need. I love you. Helplessness and despair 
indignity and shame were met with compassion and grace for her beloved grandma. As Kari knelt on the floor, helping Granny Annie step into her clean clothing, I couldn't help but think of another scene played out so many years ago. Jesus, kneeling on the ground, discreetly writing words in the sand. Nearby, a woman cowered, awaiting the first thud of a rock that would take her life. I imagine she was filled with a number of emotions, self-loathing and panic, despair, filled with remorse, a sense of being very, very alone. Self-worth and dignity had vanished after the abuse at the very hands of those who were poised to take her life. These guardians of justice, impatient, at Jesus' delay and apparent indifference in answering their accusations followed the words that Jesus was writing in the dust. There, traced before them, were the guilty secrets of their own lives. With astonishment and shame, the accusers left, in all probability, wondering at the tactfulness with which they had been treated. And in the face of Jesus, the woman saw nothing but compassion and pity. Helplessness and fear were replaced with dignity and self-worth. Many believe this woman was Mary Magdalene, who would learn to know and trust the voice of Jesus. It's okay. You're not alone. I'll help you. I love you. This was, to Mary, the beginning of a new life devoted to the service of the one who had restored dignity and help, the mercy and, and grace of a savior. My father had warned me about petting stray dogs and cats. I had already been bitten by a dog and had received a painful tetanus shot that he himself had administered after finding me cowering behind the bedroom door. I knew he would be giving me a shot, and I was as afraid of him as I was the needle. My father was a hand surgeon. He had repaired his share of mangled, broken extremities, often caused by foolhardy acts that caused permanent damage and disability. He demanded and received exactness and respect from his staff and the nurses. He received respect from our family as well, with an occasional smattering of fear. My neighborhood friends would quickly disappear when his car drove up into the driveway. His very presence cultivated a mixture of awe and trepidation. Even my husband trembled at the thought of asking dad if he could marry his daughter. I had followed a cat across the street and into a neighbor's yard. The cat looked innocent and friendly. But as I bent down to pick it up, I already knew, even at a young age, that my actions were contrary to his warnings.
Apparently, I also walked into the middle of a cat fight. And as I bent down and picked the cat up, it turned on me with a vengeance, mauling and shredding my arm so badly that I had to shake the cat off to get it to the ground. The lacerations and tissues hanging from the gaping wounds extended from my armpit to my hand. It was a fearful ride to the emergency room that day where I knew I would receive the wrath of my father. This was, after all, the second animal attack, and this one was much, much worse. As I lay on the exam table, I gained an understanding of consequences, compassion, and grace. For here was a well-known hand surgeon bent over the arm of his willful disobedient daughter, wincing as he injected numbing medication eight times directly into the middle of gaping wounds. And although I now had minimal pain, I saw the torment on his face as he took a wire scrub brush and began to vigorously scrub out the germs and tissues that was hanging from the wounds. As he trimmed the ragged edges and sutured them together, he would momentarily grimace and pause if I cried out. When Dad finished suturing and had bandaged my arm, I received a ninth painful tetanus shot in my other arm. He gathered his family together, and we all went out for ice cream. My siblings didn't question whether or not it was fair that I got ice cream. They were eager participants in enjoying a treat that was offered by a benevolent father who was himself grieved at the events of the day. I never received the wrath I expected, nor was I the recipient of an angry lecture. The nursing staff was not told, you know, usually I have three children in my family, but today I only have two. For this one has been disobedient and willful and has not followed the rule. My father didn't tell me that if I persisted in my disobedience, his relationship with me would be over. Although grieved by my defiance, my father's forgiveness and compassion were abundant. I had planned to end my talk today with a clever anecdote or a quotation, but something happened the day that I submitted my final email, my final draft, that changed all of that. I sat in Starbucks, sipping coffee, and watched a vagrant shuffle in the door, order his coffee, pick it up for free, and shuffle out again. The man was disgusting and filthy. His hair was matted and unkempt. His clothes were dirty, and he looked hungover. I kind of felt sorry for him. I had, after all, just finished a talk on grace until I opened the door to leave and I tripped over him 
the bum was sitting right in front of the door, not two feet away, drinking his free coffee and begging for money. I mumbled, get a job, under my breath, and got into my car. Two blocks later, I drove past a park. The place was filled with litter and transients, all in the same or worse condition. Two of them were passed out on the picnic table, obviously the effects of too much drinking, too much smoking, or injecting too much. And it suddenly dawned on me, I had spent weeks preparing a talk on Jesus and grace, writing about grace for a nice, neat presentation is a whole lot different than being confronted face-to-face -face with the meaning of grace. Loving everyone is a great concept, but when love contradicts our sense of fairness, we become angry. That is Michael Iaconelli. I was struck by the fact that these people were the ones with whom Jesus spent most of his time the disobedient, willful outcasts who had a disdain for religion and never went to church. I have just paraphrased Ellen White. As with the thief on the cross, they may someday be my neighbors. We are all on the same playing field. I had to trip over a vagrant to realize that although I am a great Adventist, I am no more worthy of forgiveness and acceptance than the disgustingly dirty folks in the park. My righteousness is as dirty rags, Isaiah 64, 6. One of my favorite writers sums it up nicely. There is an overabundance of Christians who announce there is no place in Christianity for you if you wear jewelry, have tattoos, smoke, drink alcohol, ask too many questions, have had an abortion, are gay or lesbian, conservative, liberal. Grace is about forgiveness, compassion, acceptance, restoration, and unconditional love for every person who has ever walked the face of this earth. The ice cream cone is available to each one of us, whether we deserve it or not, and we don't. There should be no room in our church for arrogance or a judgmental attitude. All of us are broken and flawed. We are all undeserving. My hope is that throughout this talk, you have heard the clear voice of Jesus saying, I love you. I want you. I will do anything to have a relationship with you. And here is perhaps the most frightening thought of all. Your eternal next-door neighbor may just be the wretch who is me.